Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Bethnal Green service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Thank you very much. How's everyone? Good? Fantastic. Um, just to say, we had a fantastic morning this morning as we launched our sixth Christchurch London service, the new East Morning service, 10.30 a.m. Uh, thank you for all your prayers. Uh, it was just a really great start. Felt a really great atmosphere in the room uh, as we started this exciting new adventure. Uh, and um, it's kind of an appropriate time for me to talk about vision uh, in both services. I'm, I've said this uh, a bit over the last few weeks, but I'm very much seeing uh, both of these Christchurch London services as kind of one and the same, that we are uh, here together. We're one big family here in East London. And if we could meet in the same venue, uh, we would totally be doing that. But obviously, we can't. We're just logistically right now. Um, and um, I'm just really excited about what God can do through us as a community. And every year, we take a moment just to stop, uh, just to pause and think about what is the vision for us as a service? Why are we here? What are we doing here in East London? And what is God speaking to us about? And so the vision for both of these services are very much aligned. It's one and the same. And there might be a little bit of different, uh, or difference or different exp- expressions of those visions, but I feel like we are in this together, one family in East London. Now, everyone here, I'm sure, has hopes and dreams and uh, maybe even a vision for what they want their life to be. And my hope and prayer is that as uh, you get stuck into this community, as you get stuck into this service, that you'd be able to formulate a vision and a why as to why you are here in this city. And I think it's important to have some kind of vision, either corporately as a community or individually, because all the kind of decisions that we need to make in life can kind of be checked and balanced against that vision. Now, our vision as a church is we want to see the cultural, social, and spiritual renewal of the city. And I know when we kind of say things like that, it can almost sound a bit like a slogan or kind of like a Nike, just do it type thing. Uh, And I really don't want that to kind of be the case with this. Uh, We want you to know what the vision is. We want you to uh, be able to remember what the vision is. But also, we, we do feel like this is something that everyone can contribute to, everyone can participate in. And the vision uh, should be so big that unless God really intervenes, uh, the chances of seeing it fulfilled actually will take probably a lifetime. But also it should be something that we can all feel like we can contribute to right now. That everyone can feel like, oh, this is something I can own. This is something that I can get hold of and live out, even though it might take a long time uh, to see come to fruition or unless God does move in a big way, uh, we won't see it happen on our own. And so Jesus is calling us to live as faithful uh, followers of him in this area of London. And we all have unique gifts. We all have uh, different places where we work, different places where we uh, live, different families, different communities. And we all have different uh, experiences of life. And we can all pick up this vision of wanting to see the renewal of the city in the context where we live. And so if our vision is to see the renewal of London, to see the renewal of East London... Where do we begin? How do we actually go about starting? How do we respond to it? And how, if we can participate and contribute right now, how do we actually do that? Now, all of what I'm going to say tonight um, has been the result of lots of uh, thinking prayer, uh, studying, but also I just want to say that I do want to be, or we want to be as leaders, attentive to what God is guiding us into and leading us into. And this is essentially the best way I can articulate this right now in this moment, but we trust that God will speak to us even more and this will formulate more over time as we all grow, as we all take hold of what God's got for us in this city. 
Now, I think we are living in a very interesting period of history, both uh, for us as a society, uh, but also for us as the church, where some, there are some really unique challenges for being a follower of Jesus. But I also feel like there has never really been more opportunity, at least in my lifetime, uh, where we can actually bless the city. Now, church attendance is declining in this nation. Uh, Christianity is increasingly being pushed to the fringe of society. And many young people who have been kind of grown up in the last 20 or 30 years have no association or really anything to do with the person of Jesus. So when it comes to having some kind of vision or saying something like, we want to see the renewal of the city, it's very, very easy to be cynical, to think, what's the point? Or to retreat to some kind of private faith that has no real vision for what the world and London could be like. However, I do feel like it's really, really important that we as followers of Jesus, we as the church, do have vision, that we live intentional, purpose-filled lives that has a picture of what we want this city, this neighborhood, this area to look like. And over the last few months, I've had the opportunity to speak in different contexts to people with different views on faith, different views on politics, different education and different economic status um, about Jesus, about what he's done, who he is. Uh, And I've been both convicted and really surprised by the parallels and similarities I've experienced, not just in the perspectives of those people, but actually just in in the compelling nature and reality of who Jesus is that he actually does move and work in this city and in people's lives. And the author and atheist Julian Barnes, I think, has summarized what I feel like I've seen or perceived over the last few months in these moments. He said this, that I don't believe in God, but I miss him. Now, people who have this conviction that there is no God, but also maybe have this kind of gnawing sense that, oh, man, maybe maybe there should be, or what if there was actually a good God who loved me and created me? And I feel like I've kind of encountered that over the last few weeks. I've encountered some of what Barnes was articulating. And what I've found is that as the church becomes increasingly less relevant to people's experiences, so too has an informed perspective on who Jesus actually is and what the church is actually supposed to be doing. Now, this is not to associate any kind of blame on people for not knowing what they don't know. And in many ways, the church has without doubt played its part in seeing the church kind of being pushed to the sides or the periphery of society. But I do feel like this has created an opportunity for us as the church, particularly, I think, for us as quite a young church. If Jesus is not only true, but he is also good, then this is very, very good news for humanity. And when I've been able to talk to people that have uh, no real concept or experience of Jesus other than just kind of hearsay, what they have kind of think uh, they've been taught as they've grown up or kind of assumption about what Jesus did. Um, I feel like I've seen two things happen. One is actually they've been quite surprised that Jesus could actually be remotely in, uh, interesting or compelling. Uh, is not something they've really heard before or expected to hear. And also I, I feel like I've actually seen God move in people's, almost in people's like, I've seen it in their face, in their, in their eyes, in their minds, as I've, uh, as I've been able to speak to him, uh, speak about him to them. Uh, and it's led me to this increased conviction that we need to be confident in both the goodness and truthfulness of Jesus in a generation that do not know him but also know and be encouraged that God is actually on the move, that he is actually doing things in people's lives in this city. And we live in a culture that is more affluent, that is more comfortable, and that is more secular than any moment in our history. And yet we are more anxious, more depressed, and more devoid of meaning than any moment in our history. 
But that is not the message of Jesus or the church. The message of Jesus is an invitation to receive peace and love and joy and hope. And that for our own good, our own benefit, even our own health, we resist the way in which our culture is trying to form us and instead be formed by the incredible, life-giving, joy-giving, peace-filled Jesus. And that, as that happens, as we are formed into the likeness of Jesus, we, we see the need and we see the cry of our city and we grow at this desire, this urge to want to do something about it, to see the renewal, to see the cultural, social and spiritual renewal of our city actually happen. Now, if you are not a follower of Jesus here or you're not quite sure if you are or you wouldn't identify as a Christian, I just want to say that everything I'm going to be saying tonight is an invitation to you. You don't, don't kind of hear what I'm saying as, as just for the church or just for followers of Jesus. But just know that I feel like Jesus is inviting you into life with him, perhaps where you've searched for completion in your relationships or your career or your identity. Know that I believe that your ultimate desire will only be filled or fulfilled and satisfied in the person of Jesus. And so, our vision is we want to see the cultural, social, and spiritual renewal of London. But we want to see every area of life, from the way we think, to the places that we work, to the injustices that we see, uh, to the people around us in our neighbourhoods, to be new, renewed and restored. But the big question is, how do we contribute to that vision? And what I want to do today is just give us a, th- a framework for how we might think about that, how we, think we, how we might contribute to that vision. And I'm going to split it up into three parts because this is a, a talk and that's what happens when you give talks. Uh, number one is that our individual uh, one-on-one, li- one-on-one lives with God. And number two is our lives together as a community. And number three, our lives here in the city. So a vision for our life with God, a vision for our life together, and a vision for life here in the city. So firstly, let's take a look at our lives with God. Now, for some of us, and this has definitely been my, been my experience, it can be really, really difficult to actually cultivate a relationship with God in the private uh, place, the private places, like kind of the secret of our room, as Jesus says in the Gospels. It can actually be really difficult to cultivate a relationship with God in those moments. And uh, for me, at least, I've often carried this kind of prevailing sense of guilt that I've never really been able to master or have a one-on-one relationship with God. I've just found it really, really hard. And I grew up in a context where I thought that a flourishing spiritual life was, or almost like the vision for my spiritual life was to read the Bible every day, read a few chapters, and pray for 10 minutes, and then that was that. But I, firstly, I'll say they are very good things, just I'm not going to knock them at all, but I should caveat that. Um, but I never really quite understood what this was doing to me. Like, what, why was this the way that I was, I was to cultivate this relationship with God? What, what was it forming me into? What was, how was it actually helping me know Jesus? And this often was my experience when I pursued some kind of life with God. I would try really, really hard. I was like, okay, this time I'm going to be a great Christian. This time I'm going to be a great follower of Jesus. I'm going to read 10 chapters of the Bible every day. I'm going to pray for an hour. I'm going to fast for five days a week or whatever. Just really crazy goals to be like the best follower of Jesus I could be. So I'd try really hard. And then I would just grow tired. It would be really difficult. Uh, I would just grow fatigued. And then I would slowly but surely just stop. I'd either stop unintentionally or I'd just kind of forget or I would quit. It was too difficult, so I'd just be thought, no, I'm just not, I can't do this. And then I would carry some sense of guilt that I wasn't being a genuine or good follower of Jesus. Then the cycle would repeat. And I don't know if that's uh, the experiences of some of us here. However, the New Testament does not portray life with God as dependent on our effort. In fact, it's the opposite 
We are loved and saved because of God's grace, not because of our performance. And in a culture that often says that we are somebody, that defines us and defines humanity by what we achieve, that can be really difficult, a really difficult concept to understand or to really get into the core of who we are. We're not obedient in order for God to love us. Instead, we're obedient because God already does love us. And obedience is our response to his love. And if we, if we allow that truth to really sink in, I, I think that actual perspective can change everything for us when we think about our lives with God. It gives us the space and the grace to just grow in our relationship like any relationship would, rather than seeing kind of life with God as some kind of target or something we have to try and attain. And in, in Timothy, Paul gives some advice that really, I think, helps us when we think about what a posture should be when it comes to our life with God. And in 1 Timothy 4, 7 to 8, it says, Train yourselves to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise both for the present life and the life to come. And John Ortberg, in his book, The Life You've Always Wanted, argues, inspired by this passage, that we spend way too, much, way too much time trying to grow spiritually, whereas we should be spending our focus and our energy on training. He describes the struggles of a spiritual life in the same way a runner would turn up for a marathon without having any training at all and completely failing. But life with God is not a matter of trying really, really hard, just turning up and trying to have these really hard targets. It's actually training step by step, wisely over time. And over the years, I have tried and tried and tried. I've tried to run 20 miles before I've mastered one. And when I fail, I blame myself or I just give up. But that is not the vision of how our lives with God should be. And I've been on the journey over the last few years, and I know many of us have here, uh, of rediscovering some of the ancient wisdom that the church has had for 2,000 years, uh, which are often called the spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices, that give us the tools both to deepen our relationship with God, but also to teach us how to do life uh, in this world, how to be a counter uh, to the way in which the world tries to form us. And so, for example, instead of being tempted by greed or the love of money, we practice the act of generosity. Or instead of being consumed by a desire for more and more stuff, thinking that comfort or having more things is like this antidote to our meaninglessness, we can practice living simply or by fasting, knowing that only God can truly satisfy. Or to counter the distraction and the busyness of our culture that stirs in us this anxiety and the sense of never finding rest or peace, we can practice being alone with God or silence or solitude. In fact, we're doing that as a connect group at the moment and just being alone with God or taking a Sabbath day, one day a week, just to rest and be with him and your community. Now, not only does those things help us change, but it also shows the world that this is how you live. This is how you counter those false gods of our culture that tell you you are not enough, that you're not successful enough or comfortable enough or beautiful enough, that in order to be someone, you've got to be busy all the time or achieve a certain amount of success. Now, I feel like God has given us the tools as the church to train ourselves in godliness, in godlikeness, in becoming more like Jesus. Not just that we grow in our own relationship with God, our life with him, but also we show the world, this is how you can flourish. This is how you thrive. And it's the way that Jesus modeled to us in the Gospels. 
Now, to be completely open and honest with you, I feel like as a church, we've got a lot of work to do in terms of getting this into the fabric of our church, getting into really into the culture of our church. And there's been pockets where this has been happening in lots of great ways, particularly in our uh, connect groups or with the stuff we're doing with prayer. Uh, but I think we, we do need to do more just to get this into the fabric and life of our community and get this part, part of the rhythm of what we are as a church. And so we're asking ourselves the question, how do we make this a bigger part of church life? How does, how does this affect what connect group resources we provide or what we teach on a Sunday? And we're, we're beginning to formulate a plan for what that might look like in 2020 and beyond. And I'm very, very excited about it. And we'll be sharing more about that in the months to come. However, I will just add this as well, that these tools or these uh, spiritual practices, they're not some kind of uh, golden ticket that means that if we just do them, we'll kind of be on this weird spiritual high all of the time and your life with God will suddenly feel really, really, really easy. Sometimes God does lead us into times where it feels like the, f- the fruit in our lives is starting to wither or, or it just feels like we're not really hearing his voice. And I would just say, just to not, don't ignore those times or think that that's a sign that you're doing something wrong or that something needs to change. That might be the case, but it's not necessarily the case. Because God does and can speak to us in those moments. And as I've been reflecting on that, I was reminded of uh, Jesus when he went to the desert for 40 days. And what we often forget with that story is that he was actually led by the Holy Spirit. And that would have been one of the most challenging periods of his life. Yet God was still present, even though it was definitely a, a desert season, a struggling season for him. But it was something he had to go through. So if you feel like that, if you feel like the fruit of your relationship with God is starting to wither, just, just allow, try to step back and allow God to, to speak to you and think, what are you trying to say about me or about yourself, God, in this season? And so if you feel like you want to grow in your life with God and, and use these tools that we've been given and handed down to us, we want, we want to get this into the culture and into the fabric of our church. And learning and training how to do life with God it only, only gives us the capacity to flourish, but also it shows the world this is how, how you have peace. This is how you do life. And so my vision for myself and for you guys is that we would learn these tools to train ourselves in order that our character would be shaped by the character of Jesus, that we would truly be able to live the life that he modeled for us, uh, guided by the Holy Spirit, allowing him to change us through our training, through our practice. That is the invitation of Jesus. But that is not all. We don't just have a private faith on our own without anyone around us. In fact, we we can't really. Uh, Doing life together is an essential part of how we have a thriving faith. And it's in the ordinary rhythm of life in community that we become transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And I was uh, recently at an event hosted by an American research group called Barna, and they were presenting some research called Faith for the Future. And the Barna team, they interviewed over 100,000 millennials and Gen Gen Z teenagers, uh, listening to the the stories and the experiences of young people uh, right across the religious spectrum and right across the world in order to learn what kind of values and perceptions are they bringing up with them into adulthood. And the whole study was incredibly interesting, and if you're into that kind of thing, please do check it out. Uh, but the, the research essentially uh, laid out um, how important the essential nature of community when it comes to building what they describe as resilient disciples. And one of the things that really stayed with me was that the generations that have grown up in our culture today over the last 20 and 30 years, so myself included, we feel more connected with the rest of the world than ever before but we have no relational support system actually around us. 
as our connectivity to the rest of the world has just exponentially increased with the internet and with social media, our relationships with the people living next door to us are virtually non-existent. And now they propose, Barna proposes, that this is a recipe for anxiety. When you have access and knowledge to the global and political forces of this world, with all of its uncertainty and upheaval, yet have no power to do anything about it, and you have no real support system around you to process them or to help you with your life in general, there is no wonder why anxiety is becoming the norm for so many people. And if you walk down Marlend Road at the moment, you'll see lots of banners for Queen Mary University uh, showing all the great stuff they've done over the years and the things they offer for the students. And it, it really struck me that one of the, the biggest banners for them was the mental health support that they provide to their students. And I just, I just wonder, wow, I, I bet 30 years ago you would never, ever have that as a big banner outside the university, becoming, being something that's so... Uh, attractive for students is actually the mental health support that they get. And I mean, it's amazing they do that. I think it's absolutely brilliant that they, they provide that. But I just felt like it speaks of this anxious age that we're living in, where that is, becomes one of the selling points for a university. And so we as a church, we both need to counter that, but also we need to provide a space, a really safe space where we can support each other, not just in our spiritual health, but also in our emotional health, and be a community that turns the tide on this individualistic culture. And so if you're struggling to connect with us, if you're struggling to connect into community, please do tell us. We really want to help. This is so important. And I love uh, at our connect groups, uh, food is playing an increasingly bigger role, uh, which is great. And can I just encourage you, as you think about how you change and how you grow as a, as a follower of Jesus, that actually eating together across the table in community over time can become as life-changing as anything else you do together. You see this throughout the Bible, coming together to eat and remember what God has done, encouraging each other and challenging each other in this safe space, I think is, is just so essential to your faith. And it's partly why Dee and I started our new Connect group. We realized we weren't really living out what we believed to be true by not being part of a group. And now Wednesday night is becoming one of the highlights of our week. And so can I just encourage you, if you are part of a Connect group, don't take it for granted. The fact that you get to meet every week with the same people, to eat together, to feel the warmth of that hospitality, to discuss who Jesus is, to support each other in your lives together. It's just, it's just not something that happens very often in our culture. So just don't take it for granted. Prioritize it every week if you can. And if you're not yet part of a group, uh, would you consider joining one? Uh, we have seven weekly groups associated to this service, uh, and every one of them is led by some of the best people that I know. Uh, and my life has just been better. Most of my adult life, I've been part of a group, uh, connect group, and my life is better because of it, partly because I met Dee in one of my connect groups, but that's not, I'm not saying that's a guarantee for all of you if that's what you're thinking. But if that gets you to connect group, then why not? Um, but, but don't miss out on the opportunity to be shaped by some incredible people and to play a part in shaping their lives as well. Uh, it really is just such a special thing that we do that I think we often forget how, how special it actually is. Now, one of the challenges for us as a community, one of the unique challenges, I think, actually, for us as a community is the average age of our service. Now, I'm not sure what it is exactly, but I'd be hugely surprised if it is over the age of 30. I know that can be a real pain point for some of us, not having the wisdom uh, of those who have gone through life stages uh, kind of ahead of us uh, can feel like a real loss, and I totally understand that. But as I've been thinking and praying about this, my conviction for us at this moment, at, with the people that we are, is to see this as a strength, not to see this as a weakness. 
What if we as a community are called to be a counterculture for a generation? What if God is calling us to maturity beyond our years? And I've certainly experienced that in my own life. And being in the position I'm in as a, I think I'm still a young leader, as a young leader has, has meant that rather than, <laughs> thanks, rather than mourn the fact that I, I'm young and on occasion have no idea what I'm doing, uh, you might think it's more than on occasion, but don't tell me. Um, it, it's basically, it's, it's led me to rely on God more and more, to pray more, to grow in wisdom far quicker than I would have done otherwise. And I'm not, not purely talking about leadership, I'm talking about my discipleship, my formation to Jesus. And I've really felt convicted that God is big enough to help us as a community thrive despite the fact right now we lack in some areas. And a couple of months ago, a, an older church-going couple, probably in their 60s, uh, visit, visited us one Sunday. They weren't planning, they didn't know we were here, they weren't planning on it, they'd never heard of us as a church, but they were walking past, they heard the music and they walked in. And they, they told me something so encouraging. They told me as they saw you all in this church, they said that they saw hope. They saw the future of the church. And I just thought that was such a lovely thing to think about, that this is a unique thing uh, that doesn't happen very often in, in other parts of the country. And I, I just felt really encouraged that God is with us. And this is actually quite a countercultural thing, what we're doing right now. Now, this desire for a more diverse age range is a very good thing. Uh, but I would say, if you're feeling this particularly keenly, if you're really feeling the loss of that, can I, can I just encourage you to pray for it? To contend with God for a more diverse age range, for the good and health of our, us as a community. And if you feel this, if this kind of resonates with you, maybe God is calling you out to contend on our behalf, to contend in prayer on our behalf. And I'm not saying that we should actively try to keep the average age down. That's not what I'm saying at all. And I believe that starting the morning service is really going to help us with this, and it's totally in my heart to do so. I really want us to have a diverse uh, church in every single way. But right now, in this moment, with where we are at, what if we had the opportunity to show our generation, to show our friends that in this anxious age that we live, it can only be countered by living as resilient disciples, wholeheartedly following Jesus? And what if, what if this is just a unique call that God has placed on our lives in this moment right now? What if people walk through these doors and they sense a wisdom and maturity that's beyond their experience? That's Paul said in his letter to Timothy, that we don't let anyone, including ourselves, look down on us because we are young, but instead we set an example for all believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Now, I believe that Dee and I are placed here with you guys. I don't feel like that's an accident. I feel like it's totally a God thing, and we've never really regretted this as a young service because we do have hope and faith that we will have a more diverse age range. And we're just asking ourselves in this moment, with the people that we have, with the people that we are as a community, God, what would you have us do? What are you calling us to in this moment? And I believe God is with us, and I just encourage you, if this is a, a real pain point for you, to, to pray for it, to contend for it, and have faith that God can answer our prayers. So we have our life with God, we have our life together, and finally we have our lives in the city. So what could the vision for our lives in the city be like? And, and really, they kind of flow out of the first two. A deep sense of, of relationship with God, life with God, and deep sense of community. And as Dee and I prayed for this service, uh, right at the start, really, uh, we had uh, very early on this picture of a tree. And it's a really simple analogy, but the, you could see the kind of tree side on and the depth of the roots match the height and breadth of the fruit. And we really felt that God was saying that if you want to see the renewal of the city, if you want to see some of this vision that we've talked about come to fruition, 
If you want to see more people grow in their faith and more people come to know Jesus, you need to plant yourself in a place. You need to be planted. In order for a tree to, be, to, to grow, to flourish, it needs to be planted and rooted in one place. And then when you're planted there, you need to go deep. You need to cultivate deep roots, deep roots of community and of faith. Only then you will see fruit. And we've believed that that's kind of been a metaphor for us as a service. We've all made a decision to be planted here in East London, in one place. And we've allowed ourselves to be in a position where we can grow in our faith with Jesus, but also in community. And as a result, we are praying that we will see the fruit that we want to see as we seek to live out the purpose that God has placed on us. And our heart for all of you uh, as a community is out of a place of deep friendship. You can deepen your faith, see your life transform slowly over time, and step by step discover the purpose that God has for you here in this city. And maybe you've never really thought about this before. Maybe uh, kind of having a vision for the city or all that kind of stuff is, is something you've not quite uh, done before and you want some kind of things to think about. Then I would just encourage you to think, well, what are the unique gifts that God has placed in your life? What places or industries or sectors has he placed you in? See, being in, in part of the church is not that we want to get everyone in. We actually want to be scattered across the city, across the different areas that we find ourselves in. What dreams and desires has he placed on your heart? Maybe God is speaking to you through them. And from a place of deep and close relationship with Jesus and a deep and close relationship with each other, we are called to step outside of the doors of the church and be light and hope to the world around us. And that is the calling upon every single one of us. And what's great about the church is that we we all get to play our part, but also we're all in different areas. We are all in different, we have different neighbors, we have different uh, places that we work in. Now, not all of us are in the fashion industry like Philippa. Like, what could God do through her in that industry? Not all of us are working in architecture like Raf or have the same neighbors as Adna. Well, that's one of the just the beautiful things about this church is that we all have roots into different parts of society, different parts of life. And we all play our part, but it's from a deep place of community and relationship with God. Every single one of us is called to be a representative of Jesus, to bring about renewal in the places we find ourselves. And so if you've never thought about it like that, if you've never thought about your work or your neighborhood or your family in that way, maybe just think and pray about why God has placed you in that place and what might he want to do through you. Leah, if you want to come back up, that'd be great. So as we just finish... Over the last few months, I've been really uh, inspired by the story of Joshua and Caleb. After the Israelites uh, left Egypt, they got to the borders of the land that God had promised them. And Moses, he sends out 12 spies to basically see what challenges they would face, what uh, different armies that they would come across. And they came back and they reported that the armies were much bigger, much scarier, much stronger than their own. And most of the spies, 10 of the spies, came back completely scared and fearful they either wanted to stay where they were or they wanted to go back to Egypt, which is madness because they were slaved, enslaved there. But Joshua and Caleb, they knew that if God was with them, whatever the challenges that lie ahead, they needed to keep on going. And as we reflect on the future of this service, of both services and of our church, I really want us to see the future through the eyes of, of Joshua and Caleb, full of faith knowing that whatever challenge we might come across, whatever difficulty we might come across, we know that God is with us. 
And my conviction is that as we are formed and, and uh, formed into the character of Jesus, as we learn from him, as we learn from each other and how Jesus lived his life, as we grow in this pursuit of holiness and obedience, that we would grow in our conviction and our desire and our purpose for seeing the city changed through the people and the communities that we find ourselves in. And that people will see Jesus for who he is, that we'll see people, uh, people's lives change, people come to know who he is. So as you look to the future, as you think about your own future in your job or in your families or in your homes or in this church, just look at it through the eyes of faith. Don't let cynicism or fear uh, win out. Uh, Look at it through the eyes of faith. So if you'd like to stand. I'm just going to pray for us that we would have those uh, eyes of faith. um, And then um, uh, Dee will come up and I'll come up and we'll say a few more things. But I'm just going to ask that God will give us the gift of faith as a community. So why don't you close your eyes, I'll pray, and then we'll worship. Yeah, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for all that you have done already. All that you've done already through this community, through these amazing people, God. Thank you for how you've been with this church for the last 15 years, how you've been with us for the last three and a half years as we've been here in East London. And we just thank you so much. Uh, We're so grateful for all that you've done, all the people that have come into our uh, church, have gone out of our church, all the people that we've been able to reach and speak with and have blessed us, God. We are just so grateful for everything that you've done. And as we we look to the future, as we look to the next three years and the next 15 years, God, we just really ask that you give us faith, Lord, that you give us peace about all the things that we are facing, the challenges that we have where it's easy to get cynical or really easy to get fearful, God, I just I pray that you give us an increasing sense of your spirit and your presence with us in our lives, that even as we feel like we're fighting these giants, as we're fighting these, these battles, God, that we know that you're with us, uh, God. And I just, yeah, I pray that we'd have a faith that is kind of beyond ourselves, that it can only come from you as a gift. Yeah, God, and I pray for every one of us here that we would grow in our purpose, that we would really know that we are here to be ambassadors of you. In whatever places we find ourselves in right now, we are called to play our part in seeing the renewal of our city, seeing the renewal of the places where we are, God. Thank you that that is the calling on each and every one of us. God, and I pray that as we go out of this place, as we, as we go into Monday morning, that we just have a different perspective on how we are to live, on how we are to see things. God, that it's not about our achievement or our, our kind of the things that we, that we do or the things that we'd like to do, God, but it's just about being a good follower of Jesus, a good ambassador of you and fulfilling that purpose in our city, God. Yeah, Lord, and as we worship now, I pray that you would stir up faith in us. You'd stir up faith in our hearts. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Amen. Let's sing.